Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, we got some big news about a big signing this past week in Major League Baseball. Getting it in right under the wire, right ahead of the expiration of the CBA. Did you see this news come across the timeline? It's uh, it's possible. It's possible. I saw it. I don't, I'm not actually sure if this is a if this is a joke intro, and if you're gonna talk about like a Phillies superstar closer Hector Neris okay. agrees yep. to a mm-hmm. two year, seventeen million dollar deal with the Houston Astros. Nice. And we're here to break it down for you. You know, we had this whole big salary arbitration special episode planned. We pre-banked two interviews, but guess what? We scrapped them. Time to do an hour on Hector Neris. Are you prepared? Yeah, I am ready. I mean, the Phillies are, uh, it might pain you to hear this, but they are on my short list right now of uh, potential teams that I might move to. Wait. They've been... (laughs) The joke is over, okay? (laughs) The joke is over. (laughs) Screeching halt to the intro bit. What? Look, Bobby, I know. It's it's tough to hear, and my my loyalties still lie strong with the Mets. But it's I have an obligation to not only to myself but to the market, to other fans out there, to get myself the best possible offer, even if that means oh. going back to the Mets and saying and, wow. and using it as leverage. I have never seen such unprofessional behavior from a podcast <laughs> co-host. <laughs> I guess words and promises don't mean anything anymore. <laughs> It's already working. You guys have already got Mark Canna. You guys have already got Starling Marte. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying I have just nothing to do with it. We're just taking the A's. We're just taking the A's. Yes. I As know. some people on Twitter today, if you get deep enough in Mets Twitter, I saw some people saying because it's been rumored that perhaps the Mets are fielding calls on one Jeff McNeil, that perhaps they should trade him to the A's in exchange for hold on, wait, Alex, take a deep breath. Matt Chapman and Chris Bassett. Oh, <laughs> both of those. Well, because players. Jeff McNeil is so much better than Matt Chapman, right? Especially when you need a third baseman, right? Jeff McNeil is the better third baseman of those two. Yes. So you ha- have to throw Chris Bassett into the deal just to kind of even up the playing field. Yeah, no, it took me a second, but I'm actually starting to wrap my head around it now. Well, when you consider the fact that the Mets traded. Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Maybe that opinion starts to make a little bit of sense. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm looking. Mm, no, see, I actually, no matter how good Jeff McNeil is, unfortunately, he's he is into his Arbiers at this point. So oh. I don't think that move makes much sense. Yeah. for for the A's at this moment. So, right, but I appreciate need- I appreciate Mets Twitter for for broaching that idea. More years of team control are required mm-hmm. to make that to make that deal work. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of arbitration, Alex, we have a special episode teed up for our listeners. We are going to talk to Jerry Blevins and Kevin Goldstein. Jerry Blevins has been a guest on this podcast before, former pitcher for the Oakland, the aforementioned Oakland Athletics and the aforementioned New York Mets, as well as the Washington Nationals and some other teams along the way. Uh, Kevin Goldstein, current writer at Fangraphs, former executive with multiple different titles that he will list for us because it's hard to keep track of them at the Houston Astros also aforementioned 
We're going to talk about arbitration, salary arbitration, what it is, what it means for labor relations, why it's such a big topic of conversation every year during the offseason, and try to demystify some of the history of it, but also try to make sense of what it might look like in the future. Um, So those were great conversations. I'm really excited for everybody to hear them. Uh, But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Do you want to talk about the Wander Franco deal? Do you even want to wade into that pool of takes? I don't even know what there is to say at this point, especially because like I feel like we spent what 10, 15 minutes on this about a week ago when, yeah. when the deal had just broken and we and we knew scant details. And so we prognosticated about about what it might mean for Wander Franco. And then the deal came to fruition. So, you know, if you we can we can happily spend 15 more minutes saying, yep, uh, the, all all the things we said last week still 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 standing. Still true. Wander Franco deserves far more than he's than he's going to be getting over the next 11 years. Yes, and I think that when you say something like that, there is a whole host of people especially when, you know, he got a lot of t- total value to the contract, right? It's very long, but it's more total value than someone like Ozzy Albies or Ronald Acuna Jr. signed for. I think they were like 70 million and 100 million respectively. And nowhere, I don't want to suggest that he shouldn't have signed it. He didn't consider the implications of signing such a long-term deal. He didn't weigh the benefits and downsides of signing a deal. All of that is, of course, true. He definitely did all of those things. I just... It's a little bit hard to watch a player be leveraged into signing a contract like that and not be able to cash in on their value unless they sign away some high-end earning potential very early into their career. Like I lament the system. I don't really blame the player for making the choice within the system because every reason that you can say it was good for him to sign this deal is a symptom of... Of a, of a slightly broken system or a very broken system, depending on how much you care about how much younger players are earning. Because, yes, he could get injured in the next year. He could have a career-ending injury and then his total career earnings would be under $3 million. Yes, he could fall off a cliff in the next three years, even though that's definitely not going to happen. And he could never get that big free agency deal that we're alluding to or we joked about last week, $600 million. That is all true. But the fact that the system is currently set up to prevent him from ever reaching that payday until he has, you know, five, six years of opportunity to end his career with an injury means that it's a bad system because he's a great player who has to bob and weave through six years of unknowns before he ever gets to get rewarded like the great player that he is. And if you don't, if you can't see that and you can't agree, agree with that, I'm kind of surprised that you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, and obviously the, the Rays don't have him for his whole career. He'll reach free agency at, uh, at the ripe age of, of 32, which as we know is when the market typically rewards <laughs> baseball players for their service uh, by handing out uh, large, lengthy contracts. I mean, 
let's not forget, there's no guarantee the Rays even have him for the for the for the length of this contract. It's very period. unlikely that they do. So, well, there there are still plenty of unknowns here, and like you said, I, you know, I think neither of us begrudges a player for cashing in, right? I mean, this is life changing money that at the end of the day, he's the only one who who knows what what is really at stake here, him and, and maybe his agent. And so I think you said it best when he's really just looking at the market, looking at what the system is is offering to him at this moment and doing what's best for him. And so, you know, congrats to, to Wander Franco, who has literally already done more in his life than I, I ever will, unless unless the powers that be decide to go to arbitration with us or, or even <laughs> extend us extend us a decades-long contract. I don't foresee that happening. It's a very complicated thing to discuss, right? Because on a, on a case-by-case basis, there's never a, a... A player is not making a wrong decision when he secures generational wealth for his family and, and he didn't come from that kind of money, right? But, you know, as a symptom of the, the current structure of the system... It's it's pretty clear to me that this these kinds of deals, these buying out the arbitration years and securing more of the capped free agency years are in the long run just just bad for the player side of things. Like that's how you keep the largest salaries down, which keeps the overall salary expenditure down, which means that the owner's profit is just going higher. So yeah, this and- th- this kind of thing, this Forcing players to wait this long to get to arbitration, then forcing players to wait three more years after that to get to salary arbitra- to get to free agency, is something that the players union needs to address. Yeah, and this is something that we will talk to Kevin about later in this episode. Why a player like Franco would take an offer like this? Why the Rays would be interested in buying out his arbitration years? There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack, but uh, but it really requires us going back to square one. I think. Should we uh, transition alert? Transition <laughs> alert. <laughs> should we talk about salary arbitration, Bobby? Yes. yes, we should. So we've been alluding to this for a while now um, on the podcast that we wanted to do an episode basically exclusively devoted to the concept of salary arbitration and how it plays out in the baseball marketplace. So what salary arbitration is, Alex, is for player X who gets called up. Let's call him Alex Baisley. Alex Baisley gets called up to Major League Baseball. Congratulations, Alex Baisley. You've made it to Major League Baseball. You're the Oakland Athletics top prospect. You're living your lifelong dream. Here you go. What position do you want to play? Second base? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay, second base. Top top prospect. You just pushed Jed Lowry into an early retirement. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I'll just go back to the Mets, probably. <laughs> wow, then that actually is an early retirement. Um, okay, so... Alex basically gets called up. Year one, he makes the league minimum. Year two, he makes the league minimum. Year three, he makes the league minimum. That is called pre-arbitration years. This now, is and this is assuming my service time uh, is not being manipulated. Is not being manipulated, right? Um, or or I guess potentially is being manipulated. <laughs> if I was on my w- rookie contract for three years, yes. So so you get the league minimum. The team can choose to pay you as little as they want to, basically down to the league minimum for the first three years. You don't, you can't negotiate for that at all when you're pre-arbitration. Um, they can also choose to pay you slightly more. Some teams with their biggest superstars, with the Alex Baisleys of the world, might give them a couple extra 
$10,000 here, $50,000, maybe even $100,000 if you're like, if you really want to reach for some goodwill with the player and their agent. Now, after Alex has played three years in Major League Baseball, he then is now eligible for arbitration. He is arbitration eligible. And what salary arbitration is, is the team side, the player side, they're trying to come to an agreement. Each of them submits a salary number to a neutral arbiter and says, this is what I think Alex Baisley should get paid. And then you present a case to that neutral arbiter and it's actually a panel of three of them and they choose which side made the better case and which salary number that person is going to get paid. Now, a lot of teams like to avoid arbitration by settling ahead of that date. So teams are allowed to settle on a salary number with the player and they're encouraged to settle on the salary number with the player ahead of time, but it doesn't always happen that way. Jerry Blevins, who we're going to talk to in just a bit, he went to salary arbitration with the Washington Nationals. He won. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we have Jerry on. But the concept of salary arbitration, and this is this is where I want you to give a little bit of a brief hif- history for the listeners, Alex, is it was a way for both sides to have more of an input on what younger players are making. And it was a stepping stone to free agency. So salary arbitration was agreed to between the players and the owners before free agency even existed. It was like a way for players to have slightly more agency to advocate on behalf of themselves. Right, exactly. And it was, as you know, as we'll get into, the, it was the owners thought that it was a way to avoid free agency, right? It was a bargaining chip that they gave up, uh, a lesser of two evils, uh, you, might, you might call it. Does it does it kind of remind you of giving minor leaguers housing so that they don't have to pay them more? I don't know. Maybe. Ouch. March, nineteen seventy-two. Kurt year. Flood. Kurt Flood. Heard of him? Heard I of have heard of him. <laughs> he, you know who uh, hasn't heard of him? Uh, Cooperstown. Right. Exactly. He uh, he challenges the reserve clause before the Supreme Court unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully, I might add. Although his case was a was a really huge part in bringing a, a sort of national consciousness to the idea of the reserve clause, right? Which is the which is the rule that had been in effect since literally since since baseball's inception as a business, right? Going all the way back to the late 1800s, that teams have effective control over a player's uh, a player's time with them for perpetuity, right? You get to unilaterally extend one year contracts to them over a period of time and. As we've talked about, Kurt Flood was obviously quite opposed to this. Kurt Flood and and many other players who said, "Well, I'm. You can't just trade me and 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 employ me to to your will. I need to have some leverage in this." So he unsuccessfully challenges the the reserve clause. I think my favorite bit about that uh, story is one of the Supreme Court justices had to recuse himself from the case because he actually he owned stock in An- Anheuser Busch, who uh, who owned the St. Louis Cardinals there. So things are very good with our political system uh, back in the back of the 20th century. <laughs> I hear that they've gotten a lot better, actually. Yeah, I think, I think so, too. I think they're on the up and up now. MLB is very divorced from Congress. They don't lobby them. There's no nothing going on there. No, yeah. Just a few weeks later, the, the players actually strike for their first time in April. And it only lasts... 13 days, but it's it's huge for them. And the strike is initially over pension funds. The uh, There was a three-year pension 
contract that had expired and the players were demanding that the owners pay out more into their pension funds. And so the, the strike concludes after 13 days. The players win not only $500,000 into their fund, but the owners also offer up salary arbitration. As, as I mentioned before, as a kind of bargaining chip to say, well, we need to keep player salaries from going up. If players hit free agency, right? If they hit an open market, that's going to drive salaries way up. So the, the best thing that we can do is at least try and get some, some arbitrator in here to find a middle ground, right? So that players don't have all of the leverage. Salary arbitration is, is inducted in. At, the, at this time, it's only one arbitrator uh, on the panel. And players really don't want to go to arbitration. Players who go to arbitration are, are somewhat blackballed in the league. They're looked down upon by owners. Almost immediately, the owners realize how much they fucked up by introducing salary arbitration because they realize this also is going to drive player salaries up because the all-or-nothing system that we've talked about, right? The, the arbiter has to choose between the player's number or the team's number. They can't pick a number in the middle, which means... So if the player, yeah, submits $100 million and the team submits $100, the arbiter has to decide, okay, which one is closer to reality? Right. And it forces the team to negotiate in something approaching good faith, right? It forces them to come to the table with a, a somewhat reasonable number. The owners would spend effectively the next quarter of a century trying to roll back salary arbitration. Uh, in, in December 1975, free agency does come about thanks to Andy Messersmith and Dave McNally, who successfully challenged the reserve clause my favorite part about this story is that the owners fired the arbitrator who ruled in their favor, the independent arbitrator, immediately after he ruled <laughs> in favor of Messersmith and McNally. They said, okay, Peter Seitz, you're, you're out of here. The owners treat the arbitrators like, uh, like presidents treat attorney generals. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, this is supposed to be my balance of power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So by 1980, they're trying to get rid of arbitration because, again, this is driving salaries up. The next few decades see the sides battling back and forth over arbitration. And this is actually one of the issues at the heart of the, the 94 strike. In 1995, the, the two sides agree to expand the arbitration panel to three arbitrators instead of one. This becomes universal in 2000. And arbitration has largely remained the same since now the you know kind of what what has evolved over the years is a lot of the eligibility of what uh, the arbitrators are allowed to take into account when it comes to players uh, and and how much they should be making and there's a really interesting kind of list of what what is admissible in these arguments and isn't admissible in these arguments can you can you give us a little insight into what's allowed to be considered yeah so now that we talked about the concept of it and it's literally, this happens on like one day. You go to the arbitration hearing, you give your hearing, they give their ruling. Um, I don't know if the ruling comes that day. I doubt it. I, I think they have to deliberate after that. But this, this is like a, a one-hour sesh where you lay it all out on the table, literally. Um, so I'm looking at the MLB basic agreement, the collective bargaining agreement. This is um, on page 21 under the subsection of arbitration. 
It is criteria. The criteria will be the quality of the player's contributions to his club during the past season, including but not limited to his overall performance, special qualities of leadership and public appeal, the length and consistency of his career contribution, the record of the player's past compensation, comparative baseball salaries. That's a very important one, as Jerry will talk about. Uh, the existence of any physical or mental defects on the part of the player. And the recent per- mean? <laughs> and the recent performance record of the club, including but not limited to its league standing and attendance as an indication of public acceptance. So those are all very squishy ideas, right? So those are like, you can talk about how well the player performed on the field. You can talk about how much of a leader in the clubhouse the player was. You can talk about the physical or mental defects. So if the player is injured or injury prone or mental defects is a really bad way of phrasing it. This should not make it into a legal document. But if the player has a bad attitude towards his teammates, that can affect his salary arbitration. And obviously all of those things are very subjective, which is why arbitration is a very flawed system, as we will talk more about, especially with Kevin. Um, They do outline explicitly what you cannot bring to the table out on falling under those categories. Like what, what examples from those categories you you are not allowed. So evidence of the following shall not be admissible. The financial position of the player and the club. So if the player comes from, if the player is Bill Gates' son, it doesn't matter. You can't rule against the player just because he has generational wealth of $100 billion. They got to change that one. Man, if Bill <laughs> Gates' son gets into professional <laughs> baseball. Yeah, maybe he should not win this salary arbitration case. Um <laughs> All of a sudden, we're pro owner. <laughs> well, when the player has more money than the owner, I feel like the balance <laughs> of power swings. Um, and also, like if the club is underwater, it doesn't matter. Like if the club supposedly has no money, which they claim all the time, then it doesn't matter. That's not admissible. Which is cool. That's a good agreement. Mm-hmm. Press comments, testimonials, or similar material bearing on the performance of either the player or the club, except that recognized annual player awards for playing excellence, shall not be excluded. So what that means is if a teammate comes out and says, I love this guy. I love playing with him. He's the best player I've ever played with. He's the best baseball player ever. That's not admissible. But if a player wins MVP, that is admissible. Offers made by either player or the club prior to arbitration, that is like the period where they're trying to agree on that salary number beforehand. Those all go out the door. They are inadmissible evidence. The cost of the parties of their representatives, attorneys, etc., Salaries in other sports or occupations. And then there's this whole section about admissible statistics, which Jerry will talk about a little bit more later. And so so will Kevin, I believe. Um, admissible statistics are only from publicly available statistics. So for purpose, it says, for purposes of this provision, publicly available statistics shall include data available through subscription-only websites like Baseball Prospectus. Statistics and data generated through the use of performance technology wearable technology or stat cast whether publicly available or not shall not be admissible so that is a very important little caveat there you can't use stat cast statistics you can't use basically any advanced analytics that factor in wearable trackable data and that has caused some frustration i think particularly from the team side in the last really from both sides um you've heard guys like joey gallo talk about talk about being undervalued based on the old conventions of what it means to be a good hitter, high, high, high batting average, you know, that kind of thing, low strikeout numbers, et cetera. But, but also teams are evaluating guys basically only on wearable trackable data. Now, 
Like the rest, I mean, they they use other statistics, but the rest of it is kind of noise. Um, so it's interesting that that is not admissible. I think that causes a lot of frustration and consternation on both sides. So Alex, now that we understand what salary arbitration is, I believe that it is time to get to our conversations with our distinguished guests. Is there anything else that you want to present to the listeners before that? Yeah, just a couple more things real quick, and then we should get to that, get to those conversations. Um, the arbitrators get a list of every major league player's salary at the moment, right? And as you as you mentioned, this is something that they'll they'll reference, and we'll talk about this with Jerry on on how that gets referenced. But the arbitrators can look at every other player's salary, and there's a there's kind of a bracket in which they're they're comparing the the player up for salary arbitration to other similar players. Uh, and then and then the last important note is that you can't take into account the competitive balance tax. That's a team can't can't say we submitted X number because we're trying to stay under, you know, 220 million or whatever it is. That's that's out the door. Is this is a conversation that's supposed to exist in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. You can't actually look at the the financial circumstances of either the player or the team, which in in theory is a is a good thing. So that's really it. As you mentioned, this is a this is the kind of thing that, you know, the the negotiations unfold slowly over the course of the offseason and then in February they just bang them out one by one. There's like a period of 2 weeks where yep. the players just come in and sit down with the representation across the table from lawyers from the team from the league and they duke it out and it can get pretty nasty as we will as we will hear very shortly without further ado let's go to our conversation with jerry blevins first and then kevin goldstein second all right we are once again joined by Jerry Blevins, who said it's a rare occurrence to be asked to come on a podcast and talk about the minutia of the CBA and the business side of the baseball. But we are rare birds here at Tipping Pitches. Jerry, thank you for joining us once again, sir. That is uh, that is just the tip of the iceberg on on what you guys are bringing to the table with Tipping Pitches. <laughs> you, are, you are rare birds in many aspects, and I love every bit of it. So yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited. As as listeners will know, we uh, this this whole episode's about arbitration, and we really wanted to talk to someone who has actually been in the room, right, for these negotiations. Um, and you know, the last time we talked off air, the end of the podcast, you were you left us with some with some cliffhangers uh, that you noted you may not remember now. Uh, but I we don't. will we will make you remember those. I'm sure we'll get we'll get heated as we. I was going to say you probably you probably buttered me up and were super friendly, and I was <laughs> uh, revealed a little bit too much, maybe. So I'm glad it was off the air. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just in in discussing, you know, like the upcoming CBA fight because last time we had you on, we did sort of a uh, a complete game, and we asked you a bunch of questions. We had you run through them. And I, I believe a couple of those questions were about labor and the upcoming CBA. And we just, you know, we started shooting the shit about CBA, things that happen to players that make them so frustrated. And one of those things is arbitration or just just concepts that like the average fan doesn't really have to think about, but are sort of the, like I said, the minutia of um, the minutia of the business side of baseball. Um, Jerry, when did you first start have to th- having to think about arbitration? And then how did your 
opinions sort of form on it as you got into the league. You're obviously not, you're pre-ARB, so you're not worrying too much about it because you want to establish yourself in the league and make sure you even get to ARB, um, you know, as, as a reliever in this game who teams sort of turn through them very quickly. So you're not thinking about it right away, maybe, but when you start to understand what ARB is and how it's going to affect you as an individual, um, take us through that journey. Yeah, so uh, I came up with the Oakland A's, uh, my first stint in the big leagues. I was there for about seven seasons. Uh, and so I never really thought about it. Like you said, established myself. And then eventually after I got those two years of service time going into that third season, you're like, okay, how much do I need to get to that, you know, two plus, you know, arbitration. And so you start to see when you get optioned down, you start to think about your time served and, and all the above, you know, service time manipulation or just pure you know, status, because you go from making league minimum, they give you, this is how much you make for three years. This is it. And then you start to get a little bit of your market value in arbitration where it's, you compare yourself to players that have done basically your same job and what they made in the process. So it is, you're finally start to have a say in how much you're worth and you, and your value is based upon your performance. So it's kind of interesting um, from that standpoint, but that's really when you start, when you start to get to that, Hey, am I going to make arbitration this year? Am I going to get to that point to where it's going to be something to think about? And so that's, that's about the normal time when, when your season, this is your platform year is what they call it. The year leading into your first kind of arbitration. Did you have opinions about how that was going to play out? Like, were you, were you stressed about it? Were you excited to get to it because you are starting to, you know, achieve some of that market value that you're alluding to what was your your thought going into it yeah i was excited because it was the first time so at that point you you're leading up to it you're not you're just trying to stick in the big leagues and by the time you get to arbitration you feel like you've either established yourself to a point to where you're a known commodity and you're able to see kind of where you fit in in the grand scheme of salary because of your performance like baseball's the ultimate meritocracy where this is what you're worth because this is what your stats say you are. There's no BS. You know, there's a little bit of that in free agency with, you know, ticket sales and Jersey sales, that kind of thing. But for the most part, it is, this is how much you make because this is what you're worth. Uh, And especially in the arbitration process. So I was involved. So my number one thing that I say to media members to mostly to players is find an agent that you trust my former agent, Bobby Baird, Excel Sports, um, is a dear friend of mine. We're, we're still close. I went to my first you know, bar mitzvah with his son, Benjamin. Like It's just, we're, we're family now. He's been to my wedding, like all the above. I knew going in that this human being is going to have my back. And I knew he's going to tell me the truth. Every decision that he's going to make is based off of the best decision for me. And so I got to eliminate all the like what's and what if ands or buts, all that stuff. I just had to play baseball. And that was the best thing is to find an agent that you know is going to tell you the truth, things you need to hear, things that you you may not want to hear, but need to hear uh, going into the process. So I wanted to be involved as much as I could just because I'm curious. Um, And I also knew that even if I took a complete hands-off approach and like a lot of guys do, that my best interests are going to be at the forefront. You mentioned wanting to be 
involved in that process. And I'm curious if you can elaborate kind of on how that process unfolds, right? You played through your, your season. Arbitration is approaching. Obviously, you know, you're, you're building a case for why you should make X number based on your stats compared to uh, other players' stats. How, how involved were, were you in kind of sitting down in that, in that process? And how involved do you think the average player is? I would say the average player is probably just very briefly involved with just knowing what's going on. Um, you find out for me, I wanted to know, I'm not smart enough to know the numbers of it to, to divide it up. And that's why you hire people that can do these things for you. I just don't, you know, baseball's hard enough. And so I never <laughs> wanted to have to do the number side of things. It's a difficult job. So I would just be like, Hey, who, who are my, who are my comparative players? Who, who are you comparing me to? Um, how does it look? Where are we kind of generality? And then we'll start to dive into it. And so it's a, it's a fun perspective to see what they're, what they're thinking. And then also, so it's, I don't know how far you want to get into it. So it's basically like two versus two, the arbitration process. Do you want to dive into? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So, so it's basically you and your agency is one, and then the players association is your two two team you know two player team and then sitting across from you is the is the team that you're going against your team and then the commissioner's office and so it's literally 2v2 with three arbitration judges and so i'm sitting here at the head of this like long table so i'm at not the head but i'm at the first seat my agent is right beside me here across is the gm of the team and their lead attorney is right there. And then beside me is the Players Association. And beside their team is the commissioner's office. And then at the head of the table are these three arbitration judges um, who decide one or the other. And it's it's completely fascinating. But it is a 2v2 because whoever goes first, you, you present your side of the case. They have a rebut. And then they present and you get to rebut and then you have a break and then you go at it one more time and then the judge decides. And it's a battle for saying, you know, this is how much you're worth. You're terrible. And this is how much I'm great. I'm worth this. And and you get to hear it out. I'm the left-handed Mariano <laughs> Rivera. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so your case against the Nats, you submitted a figure of 2.4 million. They submitted a figure of 2.2 million. Uh, I think... A lot of people who don't pay as close to arbitration might say, hey, why didn't you guys meet in the middle at 2.3 million? Can you talk about sort of the decision-making process, any of the conversations that you're willing to share that you had with your agent about why you wanted to fight for that extra $100,000 and why, if you can suppose, the Nationals wanted to fight for that extra $100,000 less? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. So now it's kind of a standard practice from all 30 teams is it called file and trial. And so there's a date in the offseason where if you haven't negotiated with the, your team and figured out a salary that you both have to submit numbers that would go in case you're going to arbitration. So there's a lot of back and forth from teams and agents up until that point saying, you know, we're way up here and they're starting here and hopefully by the time before that file and trial gets there um you come up with something but this this was this was the, the the case where it was simply i wasn't a priority for the nationals as far as the pecking order understandably middle reliever um and so we were up until the deadline i think it was like a 1 p.m deadline and i'm in my car at like chipotle after a workout 
talking to my agent. It's like 1230. And we haven't heard anything from the Nationals at all leading up until that point. And so I was expecting some type of back and forth. Well, right before the deadline, they call my agent and said, this is what he's worth. It's 2.2, take it or leave it. And we were like, well, that's it. And that was like hung up the phone. And so my agent's almost at the deadline. And so we're talking, he goes, you can take this 2.2. I go, well, you told me I'm worth at least 2.4 baseline. I was like, so it's, this is an easy, this is a win-win. I'm not going to, I'm only going to lose $200,000 or yeah. I could go above. And so we negotiated back and forth between where we would file. And I was like, look, I'm not trying to steal anything, but I am worth 2.4 minimum. So that's an easy argument for us to, we felt we could make. And so that's where we filed. Um, again, here it comes back to, to having your agent, somebody that you trust the effort and work that, that my agent and the players association put in for me to gain that $500,000, the, the percentage that my agent got and the work that they put in is disproportionate in my favor, big time. But I knew it's a principal thing. I'm, I, I talked to so many players behind me that I was, they were compared to me and I moved that bar an extra 200,000 for them. It makes all the difference in the world. And so when you're thinking about the numbers for me being very closely associated with our, our players union, it was an easy choice for me because I know if I win, I'm helping everybody behind me. So it was, it was a fun choice. Um, it wasn't really a, a me versus him. It was just like, they didn't, I wasn't important on the team and I, I get it. <laughs> I, like you said, I know I'm not the left-handed Mariano Rivera. So I have no, these delusions of grandeur. I don't think I'm better than I am. I do a little bit like every person <laughs> thinks that they're better than they actually right. are, but you know what I mean? I, I'm not, I have no, no qualms with hearing what the team thinks of me. So I was, I wanted to do the process and just to see it through from a curiosity standpoint. And this was a, uh, this was like a win-win situation for me. If there was a a an arbitration process for pro labor baseball podcasts, Alex and I would know our worth and we would take it to arbitration. I can assure you. So you made the right call. I think you guys have a similar mentality um, of the process uh, from following you guys on Twitter and 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 your and your actual podcast. Like I I I know where you're coming from. So we're like minded. <laughs> um. So uh, you were you were with the Nationals a, a year. You you we should say you won your arbitration case at two point four million. Played out the 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 year in arbitration, and then you were traded to the Mets. And there were conversation. There were there were reports that came out that said, "Hey, the Nationals weren't elated that you had won an arbitration case." I, we don't need to speculate on their emotions on that, and I won't get you into any hot water there. Um, <laughs> but I am kind of curious. You know, arbitration is seen as kind of a, you know, a, a, the last choice in the process, right? It's what comes about when you can't come to an agreement with the team. When you're in a Chipotle you, parking lot. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like when there's no... in the midnight yeah. oil. This is the glamorous <laughs> part of baseball. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. A lot of players... So baseball is so weird. In sports in general, as an athlete, a lot of what you do comes off of like your mental approach and having this, this false sense of confidence or, or just cockiness, whatever the case may be. A lot of guys don't want any dents in that armor. They want to think that their team is 100% behind them, that they believe in them and they don't ever want to hear anything otherwise, because then it, it, it starts to pop that bubble, that illusion that comes along that makes you think that you're, 
you know, a gladiator, an untouchable figure, all of a sudden you hear that they don't think you're as good as, as you think you are. Or even if they don't, that was, that was, for me, it was easy because I, I separated performance and team and wanting to win with the business side of things, because I knew as soon as, as soon as the season is over that their job now is to pay me the least amount of money that they can. It's literally their job. They don't have to keep me happy because they think I'm a replaceable player that doesn't mean anything. And my job is to make sure that I maximize my ability for not just me, for the players behind me, because I know I can only play this game for so long. And, and I, I had did a good job of, I got pretty lucky and sustained a good career, but who knows how long you're going to be able to play. I dedicated my life to this and it's worth this much money. And I want to make sure that I maximize that because everybody should be able to do that. And so it was an easy choice for me to, to, to be able to, you know, get a peek behind the curtains of the business max machinations of, of baseball and not be afraid to hear their true thoughts of me. And it didn't affect me at all in play. It actually made me better because I, you know, it made me stronger because I hear how terrible they think I am. I'm like, Oh, I just have to be better than that. That's easy. Well, what kind of stuff are they saying though? Like, so, okay. So I'll, I'll, I won't get into any detail. So if, first of all, the nationals were, I loved playing for the nationals. I have so much respect for that organization. So there isn't a personal vendetta. Um, the, our interactions were fine. It was, it was nice. They, they said that, I am worth this. They gave plenty of reasons and I disagreed with some of those. It was the commissioner's office actually that made the arguments that got pretty personal in a sense that where they basically, not basically, they physically said, I'm just lucky to be in the big leagues. Like they, they used some photos from Facebook of like some friends of mine and I together that they compared me to and just that we're both just happy and lucky to be in the big leagues. And we should just take a check and and shut shut my little face and just be happy to be a part of Major League wow. Baseball. It was like you know I anticipated some type of that, but listening to you know uh, a person, a fully grown adult, talk a, talk about me like that was pretty shocking. Where I'm like making eye contact with this person, and we're we're having this back and forth where she's talking to the judges, but I'm like, I just want to know if this person, if she could say it to my face. Yeah. with me actually being an emotional being right there. And she did. I was like, oh, wow, that's impressive. And it wasn't like <laughs> nothing like that. Uh, I I suck as a human being. It was just like, look, this guy is just not a very good baseball player. He is a dime a dozen. We could replace him with this. Look, this is a guy. Here's his average white guy on on Facebook. Is There's a thousand of these guys trying to come here. And I was so just like, strange. man. Yeah, it's very strange. It, it had, they had no like there was not real numbers substantiated. It was just character kind of things. And it was, it was, it was unique. And so I was like, you know, I'm happy that the team didn't take that approach. And they just were like, look, this is, these are your numbers. You had a down year. We shouldn't pay you, you know, whatever. Those are easy arguments to understand, but the, the, the commissioner's office at the point got pretty personal and I was shocked by it, but also intrigued. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are things in in that are allowed to be on the table in the arbitration meeting and things that aren't allowed to be on the table in the arbitration meeting. And it does seem to me, I mean, there's some guys who come out of that somewhat beaten down, you know, saying, wow, that was a, a grueling process, right? And there's 
you know, the, you're allowed to kind of get into, uh, you know, physical and mental defects of, of players, you know, right? Which is such a vague framing, right? Like, what do you, mm-hmm. how do you define what fits into that versus what, you know, what this player says into the media or something like that? I mean, yeah, how, did and you, how far, how far do you allow that to go on? Like as a, as right. an entity, like where do you draw the line from an ethical standpoint? It's interesting. Sometimes lines get crossed and some guys' lines are at different varying points. Like you said, you don't know. I didn't take anything personal except for some of the not even in a bad way. I was like, they're trying to get personal and hurt my feelings here. Like, why yeah. would you say like that is <laughs> there was things that were said that was like that, that the the judges aren't, that's not going to be the arbiters. They're not going to tip it in your favor because you brought up this point about me being like just a, an average white guy from the Midwest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, that doesn't help <laughs> you. That's so just irrelevant. trying to be mean to me. <laughs> yeah. It's irrelevant. I was like, man, you're really just, just mad. I guess there's just like these two these two schools of thought in law where it's like you make the logos case where where you know you're appealing to their logic. The nationals are making a case on hey you had a down year you had a couple you had a tough start to this year and then you turned it around but that's why you're only worth two point two million and then and then someone in there has to appeal to their deeper rooted emotional side just in case those arbiters underneath all of their straight faces are really <laughs> going to be swayed like, by this yeah, he really argument. is just an average white guy without without getting into details the the nationals argument was this was go this was after the 2014 season so this was i actually got traded like less than a month later um in spring training after our arbitration case so, yeah, you did. Then 2015 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <Magic> exactly. <laughs> so we are, we, I played that 2014 season. I got traded over in, in the off season. And so uh, we were going off a season in which I was with the Nationals. So that was a fun approach. Their approach was you were great in 2012. You were a little bit worse in 2013. And in 2014, you were declining even more. And I did have a down season to begin, like to start. I was kind of up and down. Um, and then my argument was, look, I started here and then I ended up high. I was like during the entire last month of September and all through the playoffs, whenever there was a high leverage outing, this is what, this is who you brought in. You brought in this guy who you're saying was terrible, but (laughs) when the game, your season was on the line, this is who you brought in. And so that was a fun argument. That is a legit back and forth one or the other kind of thing, because I started kind of terrible and then I found my way and found where I sat in, where I fit in into that bullpen. Uh, and so that was, that was a fun argument to hear back and forth because you it's, they have a, they have a foot to stand on. Had you stayed on the Nats, Jerry, do you think that it would have been lingering at all with you? The, the arbitration case going back and forth, whether from your perspective or from their perspective as a team organization um, and how they thought about you? I don't you, think or? so. Yeah. I don't think so. I didn't hold anything personal at all because I understand that it was, I understood that it was a business. It was never a, it was never a, I can't believe these guys won't give me this. You know, they're, I can't believe they would talk about it. So I never took anything personal. When I got traded, I used that as billboard material for myself. I was like, they're going to trade me interdivision and they're going to, they think I'm so terrible that they don't care that I'm going to face them so many times during the season. And so that was an easy motivational tool as an athlete to 
to manufacture this, whether it was real or not, I was able to use that every time I faced the nationals. I don't think they did it, but they could have. Yeah. There's some, there's some, (laughs) there's some things that have been said that that's the reason that I got traded was because I won that arbitration case. And I never, I don't know whether it is or not. Uh, I do know that I'm friendly with the team and I, I still have nothing but respect and I've never felt anything but respect in return, but you know, who, who knows, who knows the truth. Have you talked with other players who maybe have similarly been through this process and come out feeling differently at all? Maybe maybe a little more, not animosity, but frustrations. Uh, maybe did take it a little more personally, something like that. Absolutely, you know, some of those guys that, that need that kind of big bravado, that ego, get a get punched a little bit, and this this thought process that your team cares about you wants to be the best. Uh, version of yourself and wants to treat you like that and maybe says these things to you. And then all of a sudden, when there's somebody, you know, has to dip into their wallet, they treat you differently. A lot of guys take that personal, understandably. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, of the guys that I know that have been through the process, I'd say it's like 75% people that, that take it like me for the most part and just able to brush it off. And 25% of the guys I'd say are like, a little bit taken aback that these people are are willing to go to some of the lengths they are to to pay you under your value or what you think is under your value. Yeah, it is definitely kind of a rude awakening, especially if you are kind of a you know a bit of a burgeoning star, right? That the team has uh, has protected and and nurtured and brought up through the system, and then you're hit with the reality of the business of baseball. Right. And that really yeah. ultimately they have to figure out how much to pay you. And as you said, they're trying to, it's their job to do the, to do the least. Like we talked about it, 200,000 for me, 2.2 to 2.4. I mean, mm-hmm. that's win-win. Like I'm still playing baseball for 2.2 million at the least, you know, that's yeah. silly. Some of these numbers are, are huge gaps, you know, yeah. multi-millions. And, and these are precedent setters to where in your first year of arbitration, if you shoot too high and you get the under, all of a sudden you're chasing that for the next couple of years until you hit free agency. And so it's, it's these, their stakes are a lot higher for these superstars to, to find somewhere closer to their actual value to not overshoot. So it's, it's the stakes are higher for superstar players and guys that are, you know, MVP candidates or Cy Young or rookie of the year. These things actually matter. And and, uh, the stakes get higher as the salary goes up. Yeah, I mean, and just for context, the Mookie Betts set the record for arbitration not that long ago after he had won MVP with the Red Sox. He was still an arbitration player, which is very funny. Um, he he's he's amazing, what an amazing baseball player. Him and the Red Sox agreed on a twenty-seven million dollar deal. So if he came in at thirty-five and the Red Sox came in at twenty, we're talking about a fifteen million dollar difference here that they were eventually able to agree on because. You know the Red Sox don't want to piss off Mookie Betts, even though they ended up trading him anyway. So it was there, all for nothing. See, yeah, that's but, that's the difference of of leverage. But it is it's these huge numbers because if if Mookie Betts loses and he they only have to pay him twenty million, maybe he is worth twenty seven. But because he argued that at thirty five that he they he can't prove it, and so and all of a sudden he's making twenty. It's one or the other. Yeah. So if you're making twenty, the next MVP, the next Mookie Betts is going to come up and be like, God, man, he he, start he from fucked 20. me on this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and they're and you're worth. They're it's, the funny thing is he's Mookie Betts is still getting underpaid in my you know as long as he's healthy, 
even if he's not healthy, he put his body on line. That's again, a separate argument, but these numbers are, are still so low in arbitration based off of what your actual market value is. So yeah. these, these numbers do mean something. Yeah, he's having a Mike Trout season, making twenty-seven million, fighting tooth and nail for it. But then Trout is making forty, you know, like because he was a free agent earlier. So yeah, I mean, that that kind of brings me to our last question, Jerry. I wanted to ask you as someone who's been involved so heavily with the PA. Um, obviously, the PA was involved in your arbitration case, as you laid out. Um, we we have heard some early reporting of some changes to the arbitration system or some proposed changes to the arbitration system. I wonder if having gone through it, having talked to a lot of guys who have gone through it, having thought about arbitration a lot, do you think that we should get rid of it? Do you think that it needs major overhauls? What, what is the kind of your view on the, the long-term liability of this system? So I like the arbitration system because it, it, it's like a, it's a first introduction into market value, but it's also under team control. So you get to stay with where you're comfortable because being a player, especially a young guy coming up, the continuity of being in a, in a same locale with the same team, with the same front office guys that you interact with as a, as a, you know, a kid that comes up at 20, 21, 24, even your introduction to baseball on that level. And then ultimately, making relationships and then going through the business side of things, having that familiarity with the team and an organization and, a, and, a, and your agent and, and everything helps. So I think arbitration is important. You know, I don't want to speculate on changes that I think should be made, but I do know that the teams have figured out how to take advantage of the current system and where you don't make arbitration money until three years of service time, they are maximizing the number of players that come in under that number. And yeah. then as soon as, soon as you hit that number, a lot of, they're just letting a bunch of guys flood the market. And then it also dilutes because they're just cutting them loose. And so they're going to find ways to take advantage and manipulate every single system that you're going to come up with. But I, I think the arbitration process is, you know, maybe it's two years, you know, you reach it automatically at two years and go from there. But I, I, I do think it's important. I think it's a, it's a fair process because it's a non-partial three judge panel that gets to decide what you and your, what you're worth. And without the possibility of you just getting left in no, no team in spring training, you know, like the, the, what they did to the middle-class guys that, that couldn't find a job because they didn't want to pay them um, for a couple of years. But, you know, I like arbitration. I think it's important. I think it's fun. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure agents and, or, you know, the, the commissioner's office appreciates it on the level that my, you know, former pre-law student uh, appreciates it at. So yeah. uh, I may be, you know, a rare bird as we talked about earlier in that sense. But I think, I think ultimately it's a good step along before free agency. Uh, well, we don't want to take any more of your time, Jerry. Thank you for, for getting, getting down and dirty with us. I mean, these are the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> that is, that as you said, many people are, are uh, somewhat reticent to really talk about in depth. So we appreciate you being so yeah, generous it's, with your time. It's a touchy subject. It's my, like I said, it's my pleasure. Like I, I have, 
you know, I only went through the actual full arbitration with the nationals and I still love the nationals. Like, you know, they may not feel that. I think they feel the same way about me. I have really good interactions with them, but you know, uh, I think they're a classy organization. And we also, we also talk about these clubs. So categorically, it's like the nationals want or the nationals don't want. It's like the nationals are an organization comprised of people that you have individual relationships with. And they, you know, those people have to serve many different interests and mainly the owner's interests. And it's not always because they want to serve the owner's interests. It's like that, that we're sort of like, crossing many lines or blurring many lines, I should say. And so I, you know, and I speak on behalf of a very small group of relief pitchers that really don't ultimately matter in the grand scheme of things, as far as like a team's priority list. I understand that they're not going to negotiate with me for a month leading up to it. Um, But I would have out of respect, you know, anticipate a phone call, maybe a little bit of a back and forth, you know what I mean? Like out of respect for me as a human being, I understand that I don't matter that much when you're, you know, I think Harper was uh, arbitration eligible that year. You know, you have guys that that are significant contributors on a grand level. I've heard of it. Where have I heard of him? Was it that he was win- <laughs> yeah, winning the NL MVP kind of last year? <laughs> yeah, for the second time. And Beast, now all of a sudden he's underrated, which is amazing. Um, but I think... I think I have a unique perspective because like I ha- I played such a uh, behind the scenes kind of under the radar my entire career as far as like I'm never going to be on a billboard. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to come to the ballpark to where, you know, to see Jerry Blevins, you know, come out like it's I'm just a different style of player. And so I enjoyed I enjoyed it because I had no no real repercussions as far as if if they piss me off i'm not going to be mad and all of a sudden it's the the entire organization is steered left because of how i feel like i just know yeah. i don't have that impact so yeah so it's freeing but, in a way but i enjoy talking about it i like the process and I, I love what you guys do because you bring a unique voice to it um because there are people that are interested in it and and you're pro labor so i'm all for it (laughs) well thank you for joining us and thank you for being our player arbitration representative would you like to plug anything would you like to plug the podcast anything specific yeah i mean if you guys want to tune in mets fans out there uh shea station um uh it's john boy media me and and jolly olive a huge mets fan he makes great content uh, I'm on Shea Anything every once in a while, every other week with uh, SNY, um, at Jerry Blevins, uh, Twitter, social media, whatever the case may be. If not, just just enjoy baseball. It's going to get ugly, I think, coming up. Uh, but but ultimately, we love baseball, and that's what we're here for. Jerry Blevins, a rare bird. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you to Jerry Blevins, returning guest Jerry Blevins. Um, a lot of interesting things in there which we don't have time to totally unpack just yet because we have a whole other conversation to get to we'll probably be unpacking some of the stuff that Jerry said <laughs> over the course of the next few weeks um, now let's go to our conversation with Kevin Goldstein staff writer at Fangraphs former executive with the Houston Astros alright we are now joined by Kevin Goldstein current writer at Fangraphs former many different titles with the Houston Astros <laughs> Kevin thank you for joining us sir 
Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> what what were all your titles before we get through here? Because Alex and I were looking this up and there are many different things cited in awfulannouncing.com and everything. <laughs> so what what did you actually introduce yourself as? I'm just so happy you're using awful announcing as your as your source <laughs> for my career. Well, it's our um, north, it's our north star here at Tipping Pitches, yeah, the, the pro labor baseball podcast. <laughs> exactly. Um so uh the Astros had a thing for commas in titles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always had a comma, which I always had. So um, my, I had three titles during my time with Astros. I had a coordinator, comma, pro scouting, uh, director, comma, pro scouting, and um, wow. special assistant to the general manager, comma, player personnel. <laughs> <laughs> so you're keeping the 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 comma industry in business on the exactly. business cards. Um, so we wanted to talk to you because we wanted to talk about arbitration. We wanted to talk to someone who has seen it from the other side from the team side and seeing how it plays out i think first and foremost i would like to start with just what was your understanding of your role when it came to arbitration because i want to kind of establish how closely or not closely you were involved in (laughs) you you joked with us that one of your greatest career accomplishments was never getting dragged into an arbitration hearing or case or anything like that so what why why did you feel that that was one of your greatest accomplishments because I've I've seen people do arbitration work and it's absolutely can I curse on the show? Yes, of course. It's absolutely do. fucking miserable. Uh, it's horrible. Um, so you know, arbitration was something like I said. I didn't really get involved with the timing was never good and and it just wasn't my world. And um, but it is a it's a pretty miserable process. And you know, people uh, during spring training have to go to Florida, or Arizona, and put on suits and go to Kinkos at three a.m. to print out you know slide packages out of PowerPoint and things like that. It just seems like a bad, bad time. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I will get into more on this later, I'm sure. But, uh, the thing I hate the most about arbitration is just how accurate that name is. Um, it's arbitrary and, 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 you know, it's, it's a really, really bad system. The end game, the last mile of the arbitration system is an absolute nightmare in the sense that you, you win the case or you lose the case. But, um, you know, like the Supreme Court rules on something, they then release like this 70 page document that says, this is our <laughs> ruling and why. And all the, everyone chimes in. This is why I voted. Yes, this is why I voted. No. Um, you, all you get is a ruling from the arbiter or, or the panel of arbiters in this case. Um, you get no reasoning why. And, and, um, I've never ever, and I've probably asked this question a hundred times. Um, I have never ever talked to anyone who I worked with or anyone with another team who understood why they won or lost an arbitration case. You know, I wrote a piece of fan graphs earlier this year during arbitration season where I actually called friends in the industry, to executives, and I said, I want to ask you a simple question, which is if, if instead of doing the arbitration case or hiring people, many teams hire outside contractors to handle their arbitration cases. Instead of doing that, if you simply hired a clown and that clown showed up to the arbitration case and simply held up one slide that said, we think player X deserves this much. <laughs> Do you think that would change your win-loss record in arbitration? Um, and for the most part, the answer was no. Uh, you know, and, it's like, and so like, what are we doing here? It's, it's, a, it's a really silly system. Um, I don't think it's going to necessarily change that much with the CBA, but it's, it's a mess. But how about if you hired Tom Hanks on Cameo to make your case for you in a minute-long yeah, video? Honest, like, and it's funny because like the biggest concern teams had was not just the one slice of this. It was like, well, I don't know how the clown would play. You know, that was that was their <laughs> that was their biggest question. You know, it wasn't about just the one slide that says this player looks next instead of having, you know, meticulously prepared, you know, for weeks or paid arbitration people or lawyers literally 
thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to prepare and present. Um, it just, it, it, it makes no sense. Yeah. You, uh, as you mentioned, you kind of came from the, the player evaluation side of things. And that's mostly where you, where your, your work was focused with the Astros. Can you speak to how, if at all, you supported the arbitration process? Like were, were teams reliant on, you know, uh, player evaluators to say, Hey, do you think this, this number is accurate? Can you, can you give us data on, on why this player should make this much or, or how, how we should be accurately valuing them? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, if, if you are a really good player evaluator, there's part of your, there's an aspect to your job that, uh, takes the E off of that, where you're not just evaluating, but you're evaluating. You're, you're trying to, how much is this player should, how much should this player get paid relative to, um, the current market dynamics in baseball? And so, uh, you know, that becomes a question. There were people far smarter than me who were doing, um, and you've seen these like, you know, publicly, I know MLB trade rumors published a list of like, we, these are arbitration estimates. Yeah. You know, we think this guy will get, you know, 6.8 or whatever. And, um, you know, every team does that for themselves as well. Um, and so there's smart people doing that. And then, you know, it, my job might be, well, you know, we think this guy's worth, I'm just going to make up a, you know, a number, $7.2 million. We think that's kind of what his arbitration number is. Uh, and then, you know, an aspect that I think not enough people maybe talk about is just like it has to come down to, well, let's look at the free agent class. Maybe there's a player that we'd like better in this spot for six million that we think we can get for six million, you know, and and uh, that gives us an extra one point two million dollars to spend elsewhere, you know, and all of a sudden maybe we can get that reliever who wants seven and we only have six, you know, yeah. And so it it turns into you know there's a lot of moving pieces here more than just player A wants that much is he worth it. Um, it's, are there other players out there who you might be able to get who you like just as much? Is there a better way to, to, to kind of, um, you know, redistribute this amount of money, uh, on the market, either via free agent or picking up a contract via trade? Uh, and so it, it comes down to, you know, at times I did get numbers bounced off me. Hey, we're thinking about offering this guy 5.4. Does that sound right to you? You know, this is what the, <laughs> you know, we, we've run the model, we run the formula, but now we're going to put it in front of a human, um, which is always a good move. And, and, and so, you know, that's something I got involved with, but also more of, you know, we have this player at this position, this is his number. Um, before we get too deep into the, into the weeds on this one, are there better ways to do this? And should we maybe just non-tender? Yeah. Um, you know, that's the, that's the kind of place where I would come into it. Um, other than that, it was more just kind of, um, you know, supporting the arbitration team by sending them jokes at two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> a crucial, crucial part. Absolutely. Uh, if, and, and probably not talked about enough, the arbitration process. <laughs> Being a good coworker is very important in all industries. Um, so, so the way that you describe it, it's kind of like, okay, you have a group of pre-arb guys, you don't have to worry about what you're going to pay them. You have a group of ARB guys, you maybe decide about how you're going to handle the ARB at the last, you know, after you decide what you're going to do about free agency and the guys who are already on contract because you have a total salary number that you don't really want to go over based off what the owner wants to spend or what the GM is is willing to push the owner for. And so then these, these ARB guys get kind of squeezed into that small middle class, right? Where like we only have 20 million total for ARB and, and to spend here on these five ARB players. And we have to decide who to push hardest against to try to get them to settle or who to actually take to arb can you kind of from the team perspective like why would a team fight very very hard over what seems like not that much money to the team like yeah, you, no, we often a, see yeah. people complaining online 
or you know c- people who come from, at it from our kind of pro labor perspective or support the players or whatever and the numbers are like hey we just had jerry blevins on right before you so 2.4 million versus 2.2 million why are the nationals making us think about two hundred thousand dollars can you kind of demystify that a little bit from the team perspective <laughs> no or try um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny I, I mean i can think of a case during my time with the astros that, that was actually less than two hundred thousand in terms of the gap um there's a couple things going on there and i i think uh one dynamic is is um is the lrd um which is the labor relations division of major league baseball major league baseball um you deal with the lrd when it comes to arbitration is the lrd uh like pushing teams to not give in if you will um and so you know again this was like a this was like i wish i remember the numbers it was literally something like 1.5 versus 1.65 that's it you know and 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 someone i you know a, a someone who was above me who i worked with i remember like being in 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 that person's office and that person saying to me i can't believe we're going to go to a fucking hearing over $150,000 but here we are you know and and so at times mlb does push you not to necessarily give in um you know and then there is like just kind of the principle that that um we've kind of gone from many teams to most teams use of of the, of the file to go you know if we can't work it out before we get here, we're going to file, and and that's the end of negotiations. Um, in general, that's not necessarily uh, as hard and fast a rule as you'd like to think. Um, I know plenty of teams who are filed to go who have gotten deals done after filing. Um, you know, and and usually it's because the player side you know gives a little bit, but um, yeah, there is kind of pressure from the LRD to do file and go, and there is pressure to um, you know kind of kind of hold your ground in a lot of places. You, it, I mean, it's funny you bring that up because Jerry mentioned as well kind of the role that the team plays in the in the uh, argument process versus the role that like the commissioner's office plays, the role that the league itself plays. Do you have a sense of of why you know why the league might say, "Hey, we don't want you," you know, we want you to 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 put up this fight, right? Don't let them, you know, argue for that one, uh, you know, 150, 200K. I mean, is it a, is it like a, a principle thing? Is it like a precedent sort of thing that, you know, if you give, if you give one player 150K right. and you have to give the next player 150K? It, it, it's very much. So you get in these situations where um, it's a very, it's a rising tide theory. If you, you know, the rising tide, you know, lifts all boats kind of thing. And, and the players see it that way, but so does the team side. And the team side is ultimately Major League Baseball. And so, you know, Major League Baseball is trying to keep salaries reasonable or down. And the players are trying to keep salaries up. And it's, 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 you know, I, this dynamic goes across, um, all aspects of, of, of the offseason in the sense that, uh, you know, during, you know, right now, you know, obviously we're in free agency for, well, at least seven more days before they shut, shuts down. But, um, in during free agency, there's a reverse pressure, um, not on the mid-range guys, but on the, you know, in this year's class, on the Scherzers, the Correas, the stories, um, to take as much money as they can, to take the biggest deal. Um, you know, other, if, you know, the mid-range guys are kind of allowed to have other considerations. Hey, I want to do spring training in Florida. I live in Florida. I can spend six weeks sleeping in my own bed. You know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm from Baltimore and I can play for the Orioles and then be at home and that kind of stuff. Those considerations can really come into effect, but for the the bigger name free agents, the, the the union puts tremendous pressure on them to take the biggest number in order to bring up salary you know levels. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so, um, you know, this kind of thing happens you know across all levels everywhere, where there's this just constant battle of trying to um, 
precedence is a good word, you know, trying to, 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 you know, increase those numbers and you're trying to, it means a lot if, you know, reliever X, a good seventh inning reliever is now generally seen by the market as worth six and a half million as opposed to six, because the next time you build on that platform, six and a half can become seven as opposed to six becoming six and a half. And so you know, it's just trying to keep that trend line going in the right direction. And so, and, and both teams are trying to, 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 you know, put that in the right direction and, uh, you know, and, and keep that going. It is this, it is this constant ugly battle. It does feel like this very, you know, pre World War One style of fighting <laughs> where you're like trying to move the line forward a little bit and then yep. they move it back and then you and move the, it yeah. forward and then the man who tries the hardest wins. And, and absolutely. And the trenches are very, very muddy and filled with mustard gas. It is absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, can you can you talk about I mean, I, maybe you didn't work directly or provide direct data support, but from the team side, what kind of data are they looking to come to the table with? Is it just like what is on what what is up for grabs in arbitration that you can kind of make that case, even if it is very arbitrary as you laid out? Like, yeah, what is the it, team it, trying to what what like statistical or work ethic or whatever case are they trying to make at the table? It absolutely sucks um, because the arbitration what arbitrators value. Well, let me go backwards a second. It's really important to understand that when you're speaking to this panel of arbitrators, they are members of the national arbitration board or something like that national association of arbitrators yeah um it is quite possible it is actually quite likely that they don't know anything about baseball that's really important to understand Mm -hmm. um and so because of that um the things people care about is very much based on uh counting stats you're mostly back of the baseball card stats you can't show up uh, you know, an arbitration hearing and say, Hey, you know, here's this guy's swinging strike rate on a slider. And, and, and here's his, you know, here's how his vertical movement went down. And that's why we're concerned about what you give him. Like, you can't play that game. Um, it's like, and at times it's really, you know, things like, um, plate appearances, right. Can, can really matter. And, 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 and home runs and, and like real back of baseball card stuff. Um, the, the, the biggest, piece of, of the whole thing is the comp world. You know, you're finding comps and it's very, and, and, and that's the biggest part of any arbitration discussion is you're showing up and saying, well, here's the player. He compares to this guy who makes three and this guy who makes 3.25 and this guy who makes three and a half. So he's probably worth 3.25. And then on the agent side, they go, well, wait a second. We think he compares very well to this player who makes five and this guy who makes four, seven, five, and this guy who makes five and a quarter. So he's worth five. Um, and so it's all about comps. But those comps are also based on the same, not necessarily great stats to gauge a player value on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's where a lot of the work goes into is kind of, um, you know, trying to come up with these right, these, these proper comps and stuff. But again, you're using the wrong numbers in the first place because you're dealing with people who are arbitrators and not baseball people, which is, you know, problem number 8,625 of this process. It really is kind of remarkable you know seeing how much the it's game unbelievably has dumb e- e- it is, yeah the e- more yeah. you hear about arbitration so believe me, the more you sit there yeah. and go this i can't believe this is dumber than i thought <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's an it's an aging system right and, and when it was ushered in you know i guess 40 plus years ago right sure. it, it, it made sense and it was a i mean it was a win for the cba right because it was actually negotiating for 
more more agency in a sense of players, right? And ultimately, right. F- free agency is the is the ultimate goal there, right? But then again, you know, 30, 40, 50 years on, we're evaluating and talking about players in such different terms that it is kind of interesting that we're still stuck in this like, you know, all or nothing case that as you as you pointed out is often being made to people who may not know anything about baseball and i think that's right. the thing that boggles most people's minds yeah Everything, especially yeah. because because teams are not evaluating on those back of the baseball card numbers anyway either so not if they all. know not that they're going to lose right. an arbitration case over those numbers they're just going to non-tender you so so it's, it's like it's very disjointed and it doesn't it doesn't really line up anymore so i'm wondering kevin do you do you how would you reform arbitration solve arbitration for us kevin <laughs> please but would it be keeping the system and changing the years that it takes to get there or changing the numbers that are allowable within making your case or would it be replacing it with fan graphs war and an algorithm <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to comment uh, on that one because you're a fan graphs employee no, but i actually you know what i can i comment on that one sure yeah no, I, I think that came out and 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 i think it was you know really wrongly perceived and and you know look i'm glad people respect fangraphs war measurement i think it, you know i know it's something that teams use at the same time I, you know what major league baseball was saying at that time was like something like fangraphs war you know meaning like a, a more yeah. advanced number you know mm-hmm. anything whisper down the lane kind of messed that one up a right little bit. but but the important thing to note that like if they want to go that route and it's possible something like that might work i don't know like that they would not use Fangraphs War. They would not, because what they would have to do at that point is then have a negotiation. Then this would be like this would be some serious fly on the wall stuff. I would kill for this one. <laughs> they would not have to have a negotiation between Major League Baseball and the Players Union to that formula. Mm-hmm. And and there are aspects to um, almost any kind of wins above replacement system that would that that you know favor or do not favor. Um, certain families of players. So it's yeah. very hard to do well in a war number if you're a reliever um, because of bulk. Um, and so, you know, a guy like Blevins would really get screwed here. Uh, but so would a closer, you know, and, and because, you know, the war is just kind of going off innings and there's not a real appreciation of leverage and things like that. And so, um, I, you know, what they're really trying to say was, you know, to, you know, can we come up with a formula? And it was more of like a like fan graphs or, but whatever that formula was, it would have to be negotiated between the union and major league baseball. Something um, that ha- you couldn't agree on within three weeks before that deadline. Huh? I, I mean, look, look, I, well, I mean, I think that's, it's fine that they, that they, you know, throw it out there. I mean, they, they're, yeah. they're, they have a gap, um, you know, as wide as the Panama canal on about 172 other issues in seven days to go. So why not, you know, just add that to the list. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, I don't follow other sports. Um, uh, and I have a cat. Hi. <laughs> Guest appearance. Some thoughts about the arbitration system? Yeah, Nico doesn't like uh, arbitration either. Um, and there's the dog of the barker. It's a good show. <laughs> and um, so, I don't even remember where I was. Uh, so, with arbitration, like, you know, I, I don't fully follow, follow other sports, uh, but I have talked to some people about how some contract things work in other sports. And, um, like, are there lessons to be learned from, I don't think there's any lessons to be learned from football, but are there lessons to be learned from the NBA, you know, and, and how they do things and kind of this, this concept of, um, you know, like kind of these max free agents and things like that that allow players to keep their own teams because they're the ones in the position to pay them the most um, and, and things like that. That's a, that's a fair question to ask at the same time. Like someone, you know, 
I've, I actually have a friend who's an AGM for an NBA team, even though I can't tell you a single player on his team. And uh, he told me that it's just, it's fraught with, it's fraught with workarounds and, and bugs and, and, and all sorts of little holes in the system. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I, I think our, the, I think an, an arbitration system is a good one. I just think this arbitration system is a bad one. Um, you know, and that's kind of the way to go. And, and I think, you know, the way we measure how players get to arbitration is a really bad one. Um, and, and I think, you know, we have to, be in a position where, you know, players who players can earn, earn arbitration earlier by being really good. You yeah. know, I think if you're someone like, um, you know, like Vladi or, or Fernando Tatis, and obviously, you know, Tatis signed a huge extension. Or if you're Wander Franco, you know, who, who, who's, you know, I, I think if you're good enough to earn arbitration earlier and you have that much, you're providing that much value to your team, you should be in a position where you're earning more than, um, to use the industry term zero to three money. Um, which is kind of that fixed number, uh, you know, and I, I think we need, you know, to, to get rid of things like service time manipulation, which is all around arbitration, um, you know, and a possible solution like that is some sort of like, you know, guys have two clocks. They have a clock that starts when they sign and then the start, the, the clock that starts when they get to the big leagues, you know, they're, they're major league service time clock. I think maybe it's time to get rid of the major league service time clock. And so you have a clock and it starts when you sign your first contract, you know, and, uh, it, 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 it's, I think what we need is a, you know, this gets outside of arbitration for a second, but you know, I'm a big fan of don't hate the player, hate the game. And, and, you know, if you want to be mad that teams are tanking, I get it, but like, why wouldn't they, they're actually incentivized to do so. And I think what major league baseball needs is a rule set that incentivizes teams to put their best product on the field. And so, you know, if you, if you're starting a clock, when a guy signs a contract, as opposed to starting clock in the big leagues, um, you know, Adley Rushman would be in Baltimore right now. Yep. You know, and, and then things like that. And I think so I it, it's more about having arbitration being part of what is a much larger rule set um that encourages you know, not that encourages and incentivizes teams to put their best twenty-five players on the field at any time. You you mentioned Wander Franco, and obviously that news broke. I mean like twelve hours. Recording ago. 20, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like well, eighteen well, I hours. Was recording after that. my show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the best feeling. Um <laughs> But I'm I'm curious if you are able to illuminate at all why a team would you know buy out those arbiters versus letting the player kind of play it out right and see how it goes and obviously with a player like Franco there's a lot of incentive to say well we just want to lock him up now before he you know if he gets any better like we're you know we're gonna get screwed because he's gonna want maybe more money and he sees the free agent market but but are you able to illuminate at all why you know how a team kind of make those calculations. I mean, you're trying to lock it. You're, you're, you're in general, those deals tend to pay the player, um, fairly within current arbitration for his arbitration years. And you're really trying to buy a discount on those free agent years. You know, that's really what you're trying to do. I think, you know, a, a, maybe a better example to illustrate what I'm trying to say is the Jose Barrios extension. Um, and you're like, Oh, it's seven, one thirty one. And then you divide one thirty one by seven. And that's, that's not the way to do this. Um, because he was do he was going to get somewhere around 11 this year, you know, in, in his arb three. And so all of a sudden look at it like it's 11 for the arb year. And then it's six times 20. That's what that deal is in reality. Um, and so in general, you're, you, you know, you are 10, you tend to play, you know, for those kind of extensions, the player tends to get paid fairly for the arb years, whatever's left in Franco's case, obviously he has a couple zero through three years left before the arb years. And so it's a little more complex. Um, and his deal is very complex, all the escalators and things like that. But in general, you're paying, you're paying them kind of fairly market rates, if you will, through the free agency. And you're, you're trying to get a discount for the post free agency in exchange, obviously, for the security of having the deal done. Yeah. And not, and not having to worry about the 
about am I going to go to arbitration this year or I have to renegotiate this every every single year right. and arbitration and arbitration's a, a ton of work like it's it's all this time it's all this work like honestly you know I I talk to people in front offices you know all, you know all the time and and you know this time of year like it's I always kind of ask them, like oh hey how many how many art cases you got and, and, and like every reaction I, I don't care if a three or <laughs> seventeen like it doesn't matter what the number is like they're not yeah. happy about it yeah. it's all this work they don't want to do. One is too many. It's yeah, like it triggered one. it. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's, 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 a, it's a huge pain in the ass. Um. Okay. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope I just confused you more. Uh, no, I think we solved. It. I think we solved arbitration. <laughs> Every, guys. We, solved Actually, we can just submit this if we can just get it to the to to the negotiating table before December first. Uh, Everything is fixed. Um. I'll call Tony Clark. I'll call Rob Manfred. We'll we'll, we'll just send him a link to the show. <laughs> where where can people find uh, what you do over at Fangraphs? Your podcast work, anything like that? Uh, they can go to Fangraphs, and that's where my stuff is. Uh, I have a a weekly podcast called Chin Music, which is um, two and a half hours of stuff every week. Uh, we have uh, rotating rotating co hosts and lots of fun guests. Um, and if you want to watch me be an asshole on Twitter, it's Kevin underscore Goldstein. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you again to Jerry. Thank you to you, Alex, for that beautiful history of arbitration. Thank you to everybody for listening. We hope that this was useful, a document that you can point other people back to when they say, what the hell is salary arbitration and why does it matter so much? It does matter a lot. It is a key character in the story of the labor landscape. So we wanted to talk about it just now as the CBA is about to expire. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing uh, a couple more episodes like this about key CBA concepts um, with some more guests. Next week's will be about the competitive balance tax, how it came to be, how it's played out like, like a de facto salary cap for a lot of teams, and what the future of it might look like. So if you enjoyed this, please send it to someone else who you think might enjoy it. And be on the lookout for the CBT episode next week. Last thing, we have new t-shirts dropping. Just in time for the holiday season, the gift-giving season. Two new t-shirts dropping. One inspired by an Oakland Athletics alternate logo. One inspired by a retro version of the Arizona Diamondbacks logo. Be on the lookout for those this week. Alex, give people the exclusive promo code for this new launch. Yes, Bobby, you, the listener, can use the code STRIKE, that is all caps, STRIKE, for 15% off your purchase. These, uh, this merch is dropping on Friday, this coming Friday. We also have stickers coming, which I'm super stoked about. It's going to run the gamut across our designs. And, uh, your favorite old ones, your favorite new it, ones. Exactly, yeah. Ones you've never seen before. Slap them on your... Laptop, slap it on your telephone pole, slap it on your boss's laptop. I don't know. Slap it on the slap it in the seat at the, bathroom, the Arizona Fall League. The bathroom wall of your favorite punk music venue. Sure. Anywhere you see fit. We'll leave that up to you all. But keep an eye out for those dropping too. Okay, that's it. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back next week unless there's a sudden agreement on a CBA, which seems unlikely, but then maybe we'll come back earlier. Thanks, everybody.
everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya. Alex, give people the exclusive promo code for this new launch, which we did not come up with yet. So you have to think <laughs> of one right now. <laughs>